welcome to Untold Physio Stories podcast, your perfect commute resource with physio failures, successes, interesting cases, and more from the physio and rehab world with your host, Drs. Andrew Rothschild and Urson Religioso. Try these in your practice. Email my exclusive promo code MMT2 to helix at helix4, the number four, pain.com to receive samples of these new professional pain relief creams and find a medical to supply distributor near you. You'll get a starter kit with several samples, patient information brochures, and it's a great way to help patients and grow your practice. Welcome back to Untold Physio Stories podcast. I'm your host, Dr. E, with Modern Manual Therapy, Modern Rehab Mastery, and live Modern Manual Therapy courses and more are back this year. So if you want to host a course and learn and earn, because we do have a profit sharing model, just make sure to reach out to me on social media or email me through the links in my podcast or in any of my sites. And my co-host is... Dr. Andrew Rothschild with Modern Patient Education. All right. Andrew's just been a little under the weather for the past couple of weeks. So if you hear him sniffling or a little bit of cough, um, he's trying to mute it, but I know he has to talk eventually because he's on the podcast. So just give him a little break. It was like me about a month ago or so when I was a little under the weather. Yeah, thankfully, um, the, only, the only things that make me cough are talking and laughing. So we don't do any of that here. No, no, we are totally serious and uh, we don't even talk in this podcast. Um, so I had a small update on the ipsilateral lateral shift. There was an MDT PT who commented on it. And um, after listening to the podcast, and just FYI, if any of you guys are struggling with an ipsilateral lateral shift or you happen to see one uh, in the future, what he said is that one of the McKenzie faculty had started experimenting with just thoracic rotation instead of trying to load the lumbar spine. So he didn't really get into specifics of whether it was the seated, I don't think it was thoracic whips, but it might've just been seated thoracic rotation with overpressure um, to try to correct the shift. And he said he's been having some good success with that. So if doing you follow it toward, up, towards the involved side or away from? I can only imagine that it would probably be away because they're they're shifted plus they're somewhat rotated you know it's not like a shift is purely uh in a side bending plane right right? so um i i did and that reminded me too i saw someone um and i don't know if i podcasted about him but i definitely made some social media videos and he was on my instagram and my youtube um it was a former pt who I used to work for, and he came to see me after he developed some low back pain after a fusion failed. Um, And his hardware is very similar to yours. When he showed me his x-ray, it was just like busted. Mm. (laughs) You know, Uh, I think some of his hardware and screws had broken or maybe not fused. I don't know exactly what happened, but he was laterally shifted um, and I think it was, I'm not sure if it's an ipsilateral shift or contralateral shift. I, I believe it was ipsilateral, but this wasn't discogenic or anything. It was literally that his hardware had collapsed on one side. And he shared me those x-rays. And I remember trying shifts and trying isometrics. And what actually made him better was actually just seated trunk rotation. And then um, unilateral farmer's carries once he was straight. 
So there was de- there's definitely something to that trunk rotation based on my N of one. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I also don't know how much that McKenzie faculty member has seen too, because it's not like you see a lot of lateral ships shifts, much less ipsilateral lateral shifts. But uh, if you happen to follow up now that you're back at work, um, you can you could even just try suggesting that to her. Just try seated trunk rotation. And it could be one way or the or, or the other because it's always going to be. It's either going to make it better, make it worse, or not change. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to reach out to her and kind of find out what her status is and and uh, how she's been doing, and then maybe uh, if it's worth maybe worth you know, depending on what's going on, maybe get her back in and see if it's not it's not worth uh, testing it out. Hmm. Um, so now that we we've just actually kind of talked through a couple of cases. Um, I have uh, an interesting story from my pod or from my course that I taught uh, live course last weekend, and two question two of the questions got brought up by two separate PTs, and at the same time, one of also one of the modern rehab mastery mentees just happened to text me on our chat group the same question, uh, and I'll and I'll ask this to you too. How, what about fusions and repeated end range loading? What do you, and we're talking like not acute fusions, but like, you know, fusions a year or two after everything's been healed. Yeah. I I mean, I've done it for myself and not had any trouble with it. Um, I've done it with patients and yeah, I've, I've done it with patients too. Um, yeah. And like, you know, again, especially being, you know, sometimes people are a little more sensitive with it or hesitant, I should say. And so I've definitely probably progressed it maybe a little bit more uh, gradually than I would with uh, you know patients who have not had fusions, but I haven't avoided it. Yeah, and that was the whole point. And I say it all the time in my seminars as well, because for some reason people are somewhat hesitant to repeated end range loading of the spine. I think they are used to cranking on extremities, but there's something about the spine they feel like it's not as resilient or strong as other joints, you know? And I always tell my patients, I'm like, hey, just because it has a spinal cord and lots of nerve roots uh, and many, many joints and a lot of ribs to attach to it, doesn't mean that you can't load it to end range just as much as you can, like crank on a hip or crank on a knee or crank on an ankle, you know? Right. Um, like there's nothing special about it other than the fact that it's a spine and it has many, many joints as opposed to, you know, one joint or two joints, depending on whatever, wherever you're looking on at the extremities. Um, that doesn't give you permission to be super aggressive, but I think people also realize, they don't realize that it takes magnitudes of force to, you know, really even deform fascia uh, a minute amount. So I did, I do say to them that, you know, full repeated end range loading um, resets, they have the same indications and contraindications as mobilization and manipulation. Uh, and I, I took that because I heard that Dunning had once said of, manipulation versus mobilization people ask him in his courses well would you you know would you manipulate this or would you manipulate this and he would always say well would you mobilize because right. mobilization has the same indications and contraindications as manipulation so i just threw repeated end range loading on top of that i'm like they all have the same indications and contraindications so if you would do a grade three or four to oscillation end range or or thrust manip on it would you would you repeat it end range load it and then for fusions, though, people are like, well, I wouldn't do it for a fusion. I'm like, you wouldn't do it to move the fusion, but you still right. might do 
you would you would do it for pain modulation potentially and you would do it like the joints above and below you just wouldn't expect the fusion like you're not going to break titanium i always yeah. tell them right you're not going to you're not going to break screws you're not going to break a titanium cage i mean i so did one, but that's just me i'm just oh right yes yes <laughs> andrew i'm not but, even sure people know this i mean you could be the story for this particular episode do you <laughs> And it, it wasn't doing end range. It, it wasn't doing end range movements. It just broke at some point. Yes, but I mean, you don't even know. I mean, tell right. the story. Oh yeah, it was. Ju it's just uh, within. So I had a fusion done in December of two thousand at L four five, and at some point before he was a PT. Before I was a PT, uh, so it got me interested in going to PT school. But I think it was within the first two years or two or three years the fusion broke essentially the the one screw broke in half and one on the other side detached from like the bracket so to speak um but the bone the bony uh fusion was intact and, and solid and so they just kind of left it but it was one of those things where i've been doing well for the first seven eight months after the surgery actually no i was doing well for about a year and a half after the surgery and then i started going downhill just a lot more localized back pain achiness and stuff and that's why at some point within that first two years or two and a half years they had re-x-rayed re it and saw that this had happened but didn't know if it was related to the pain i was having uh and it's been it's it's been over 20 years now and it's still still in there and it's hasn't been a problem right and andrew does you know he's a very active guy does a ton of kettlebell work, um, lots of bending, lots of movement. Like he said, he's tried end range repeated loading on himself. Um, and you know, he actually has busted hardware <laughs> inside him that they never removed. And he's also asymptomatic, you know, that's great. It's good. Um, in, in a way, you're very similar to the threatless TMJ case that I often talk about, you know, like yeah. if you don't really even know the extent of it. Like you don't know the extent of the trauma is there even every any perception of threat like you right and luckily luckily there was already no nocebo um it's not like you had worsening of pain once you found out that your hardware was broken right no exactly yeah. right and you know i think it i've seen different things too like talking about this idea of that with nocebo or even like with fear avoidance that we can sometimes as you know PTs can contribute to that if we are hesitant about having patients move into certain uh, directions or with certain uh, under certain loading parameters that will feed into those fears, you know? So and that, that can be like, if we say, oh, we, we don't want to do this, we don't want to do that, that can create some, a fear that wasn't already there or add into a fear that a patient already has when most of the time we should be trying to you know, do the opposite of that. For sure. Um, and that was actually the the case that I saw the ipsilateral shift. I'm pretty sure it was ipsilateral now. Um, he only had minor pain, and I think he was more worried that he was crooked. But uh, before he came to see me, he kept on telling a surgeon, I think something's wrong. I think something's wrong. Something happened to the fusion. Uh, and, and you need to, you need to do another scan. And the surgeon kept on saying, nothing's wrong. Nothing could possibly happen um the surgeon was like adamant that nothing was wrong and then he finally i don't know when if the surgeon finally ordered a scan or if he went to a radiologist friend 
but that's when he found out that um, all his hardware um, had pretty much collapsed and, and broke on one side. Mm. So the, the guy who asked me the question, back to the fusion uh, question of the class, he actually had um, some previous history of neck pain. Um, it was He had some sort of, actually, some sort of trauma. I believe it was swimming pool. I don't know if he dove in or something happened. Um, or I think one of his, he was in the pool. I think one of his kids like jumped on his neck, something like that. Then yeah. he was hyperflexed and he just could not, he couldn't extend it all. And the best he could get was neutral, no matter how hard he tried for months and months and months, maybe even a couple of years. And he finally, finally um, decided on a fusion. And he, based on fusions he had seen in the past, he asked the doctor, can you fuse me without any cages? Because he didn't want to have trouble swallowing because I guess he had seen several patients with trouble swallowing. And the doctor said, sure. So I'm not sure um, why or if, why he had normal motion um but anyway that resolved and he had some just lingering set of radiculopathy and severe pain um he he still had full range surprisingly in rotation and flexion and just slight limitations and extension he's mostly limited in retraction and side bending left um but throughout the course that that improved with all the resets and everything and, and that completely resolved his pain i was just more surprised that he had full motion from having four levels fused, as in like four segments, not four levels. Like yeah, he had yeah. C5, 6, C6, 7 fused. And I'm like, well, is that just because he only has screws? And because he showed me a picture of his scan and he had only six screws in each, um, between each of the two vertebral bodies and no cages. But that's still, it's still fused. I mean, I wouldn't expect him to have full motion. Like he had nine, almost 90 degrees of rotation and full flexion and, yeah, pretty good extension. Um, so I said, you know, especially on you. What I normally, what I normally say for repeated and range loading and, and fusions is that you're just not going to expect, like you might expect a dramatic decrease in pain because you're still modulating pain and changing perception, which can change rapidly. But you're not going to expect, even if someone has limited range, you're just not going to expect full whatever full range you would you would think they would have based on their age and morphology. Um, yeah, for sure. It's always interesting. I've seen a few patients like that where they've had a multi-level fuse and their range of motion is still like almost too good. Yeah, it kind of it kind of makes you worry in yeah. some ways, right? Yeah, because you know we as PTs, if you guys are non-clinicians ever listening and thinking about a fusion, we always worry about once you fuse something that's supposed to be moving. Research shows and. Uh, that the discs above and below, below tend to herniate as well just because they have excessive movement. And again, that was at least research that I looked at very early on in my career. I don't know if that's been repeated or if it even needs to be repeated. Have you ever heard of any updates on that? No, I haven't heard any updates. I mean, that, it's one of those things that you just hear that that's, that's like a very normal thing. But <laughs> it's hard to know is that is that something that's just been said for so long it's become something that people say or has it actually been studied effectively and I haven't? I haven't really seen anything new or updated on it. Right, right. I mean, I, when people were even asking about fusions and disc replacements, I'm like, I don't even, I even have looked into that population so long or that research. So if any of you guys actually treat this actively or there's any kind of, there's actual spinal surgery that is successful now, <laughs> yeah, you oh. could reach out because that's not something that I've ever looked into. It seems like no matter how much technology advances, there's not, there's never a good spinal surgery other than 
something minor like a microdiscectomy or minimally invasive spinal surgery where you don't fuse. It just seems like anytime yeah. you remove things, you start to get laminectomies and fusions or you start to replace discs with disc replacements. It seems like the outcomes are never as good as what is promised. Yeah. I have I have seen though cuz you know the disc replacements and like the you know, those are newer. Like I I didn't have any of that. And that's been new that I've been seeing a lot more of over the last, you know, 5 7 years. They definitely seem more solid. I will say that. Like in the last five to seven years, yeah, we'll see. Like with the with the when they add in like that disc piece along with when they do the fusion and they put sort of that mm -hmm. disc piece that like wedge in there, um, mm -hmm. it definitely seemed like it's like oh yeah, this thing is pretty pretty solid in there. Yeah, well, it's my when I first started studying um, disc replacements, I know one of the one of the theories as to why there were more there were failures or um, there's also a study I read where it was like a high percentage, somewhere between 50 and 75% of disc replacements end up with fusions, like a full-on cage fusion and a disc removal um, somewhat later. Uh, it, they theorized it was because there's, you know, I don't know how many body types. Let's just say there's an infinite amount of body types and body shapes, but there was only like four disc sizes for adults. You know what I mean? So oh, okay. it's not... So chances are it's they're just gonna pick the one that fits, but it's it's not gonna be like this puzzle piece perfect fit. So it's possible that maybe they have discs that shape better now. I don't know. Like I said, my ignorance is just because I haven't looked into it and I don't see the yeah. population, but but very early on within the first like three to four years of disc replacements, um I had I had looked at that research because I, I was seeing a higher population back then. Um and that's that was that was at least interesting from a theoretical standpoint about no one because no one ever thinks about that. It's not like they custom make these discs. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. All right. So where can people find you, Andrew? People can find me uh, mostly on Instagram at, at A Rothschild PT and of course uh, Modern Patient Education and Modern Rehab Mastery. All right. And I think you changed did you change your logo again? No, it's this has been the same one now for a while. Okay. I, okay. I thought there was a kettlebell in there somewhere. There was. Like there was. But they changed it to this one like several several months ago. All right. I like it. Thanks. Yeah. Um. So yeah, if you guys have any similar stories, any funny stories, any huge physio fails, make sure to reach out to us. And uh, you don't even have to guess. You can actually just write it out for us, and we can read it and talk about it, and give you credits or make it anonymous. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. So make sure to also rate us five stars uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. You guys have a great day. Untold Physio Stories is now sponsored by MyPT Insurance. Insurance just got easier. Through continued research, MyPT Insurance has crafted a policy that is economical and provides you with the peace of mind you need. Your extensive education, training, and experience as a PT allows you to assist clients in achieving their personal health goals. By practicing without individual professional liability insurance, you could be placing your career and future finances at risk. Whether you're a student, self-employed, or employed with a company, MyPT Insurance is here to provide affordable insurance coverage while protecting you and your patients. MyPT Insurance's plan also includes mobile coverage, which means it follows you wherever you work in the United States. 
Employed rates and self-employed rates are available. Visit myptinsurance.com edge to sign up today. If you've had dreams of starting your own side hustle, make sure to check out Curve Health Online. They have an iPad, iPhone, and Android app, and they only take home 7% of whatever it is you charge. Otherwise, it's free for their all-in-one computer vision, exercise library, HIPAA-compliant messaging system, and telehealth platform. Again, check it out at modmt.com slash curve, C-U-R-V, and make sure to tell them Dr. E sent you.